of a lady and the love of a man I loved her so dearly Hello internet welcome to the Praying for Preacher podcast I am your host Housebroken Geekles and Ernest Pitt Mason and I am joined once again by the stalwart the amazing Chris Sykes how are you sir I am going pretty well, thank you. You look very relaxed. Thanks. I, I, I've i spent a lot of the week in a state of high tension, so I've had... And it's just finally being rinsed out of you. Yeah, absolutely. Is, um, it, is it anything to do with the lovely, delicious Chinese tea that my girlfriend prepared for you? Yeah, I think, in all honesty, I think it genuinely might be. Um, It, it is producing a, a relaxed state in me. Now, is that partially the diazepam that I took before I left the house? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. But equally, I feel like it could be the tea. Either way, I'm sure it will provide exciting radio. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. So, have you been watching Preacher Side? No. Damn it! Because that's <laughs> going to be the subject of this of this podcast. As you know, uh, well, we are sort of covering uh, episodes three to seven. That's correct. We are indeed covering three to seven. But because yeah. this has like been slightly delayed in our uh, for various reasons, mainly Sykes. Um, That's right. I gave birth. Yes, you did. I'm very happy for you. I kept it for a week or two, and, and then, then I, I got like, bored. I'm not up for this. I ate it. Oh, um, super. Uh, but now I carry its essence within me. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. So I think what we're going to do is have like a sort of general discussion of uh, what's happened in the show so far. I think we're about halfway through the season now, because I think it's ultimately having 13 episodes. Yeah, uh, and I can't recall if it's... Seven. I, think it's, I think it's a minimum of 12, but it might be as much as 13 to 14. Yes. Um, it would be way more professional of me to know, but I don't, so there we go. That's okay. I think it keeps things loosey-goosey as the technical term. Yes. So, you know, sit tight, and we're going to discuss... Uh, preacher so far, basically to the halfway point of the series. We kind of decided um, because we had, um, because we had a bit more of an enforced break than maybe we'd wanted to. We thought that rather than go through things like episode by episode, like effectively tackling three episodes in the space, uh, sorry, five episodes in the space of an hour, was probably unrealistic. So we thought we'd have a bit more of a, a more loose discussion in which we kind of touched upon just some of the main topics or things that kind of caught our interest throughout these five episodes and just sort of see what came up. Yeah. I think for me... Well, I think obviously the first one, because we didn't bring it up last time at the start of season two of our podcast. Yeah. What do you think the situation is like with Jesse's hair? I'm so glad you raised that topic. I know. I, I It's definitely a lot more well-kept. Well, I feel like... It's it's still got height. It's, that it's that has got height. It's definitely got height. There's no there's there's no denying that. Um, but I feel like it's it's I feel like it's hit new heights more in terms of quality and less in terms of altitude, because I felt during season one, I felt like at certain times the scale of his hair, to me felt vaguely at odds with his character, because it sort of felt 
like a man, it felt very cultivated. Yeah. Like a man who had very much gone, I want to have this hairstyle. He's clearly, but, he's clearly trying. He's, he's, he's has a lot of uh, pride in his appearance now. It's very well kept. But I feel like Jesse in, in Anvil, do I mean Anvil? Angelville? Anvil. Yeah. I feel like Jesse in Anvil and in season one is a guy who's kind of supposed to be like at the end of his rope a bit. Yeah. And is, is and, kind of... And we say his hairstyle sort of reflects that. Well, I, I felt like... It... But now he has a mission. He has a purpose. He's got drive. Therefore, his hair is a lot straighter and, and, and more well, balanced. There's, there's I sort of feel like it, it looks a little bit like... A little bit... I feel like it's retaining the same style, but it feels like slightly less effort has been put in. Yeah. But in terms of... I mean, they might have put in more effort, but it looks like slightly less effort has been put in. So I feel more comfortable with him, both as a, a man and a man of God. Um, so I think he's looking really, really good. I think he's rocking the preacher attire really well. Yes. And I think that, like, I'm I'm not the kind of man who feels like he's got to be evoking, like, the Jesse of the comics at every turn. But I must admit, there has been a lot of seeing a lot of moments of him kind of like stood on street corners like sort of igniting. just looking like the coolest yeah just the coolest guy in the block yeah it's uh, it has kind of like stirred those emotions in me so yeah i'm i'm digging his look so in terms of the scale that i am just pulling out of the air i would say his hair is sort of it maybe started at like sort of seven tree stump oh. and it's kind of moving up to maybe super saiyan level 2 well, if, it, if it gets a bit bigger, it might be approaching sort of Easter Island head yeah, level. Yeah, uh, I mean that seems uh, that seems very possible. Or that guy, like or that a... guy from the House Party movies, you know, with the straight hair. You know what? Maybe Paul Phoenix from Tekken. Wow, now that is that that is quite. I mean, would he go for a flat top also? I I'd like to imagine he would. I'm excited to imagine. Like, if the series goes the distance, maybe and... season three he'll have he'll have the proper chip head. Paul Phoenix hair. I, to be honest with you, I don't. I think we're dancing around a topic of going. What we really want is his flashback mullet hair to be his oh default hair. Oh God, yes, style. that is beautiful. It's like a we, lion's mane. We all know that when, when you go to a flashback, if you don't have a substantially different look, the audience will not believe that it's in the past, and so. What you've got to and that's where and that's where mullets belong in the past <laughs> exactly the, the the deep the deep past the deep south um but yeah generally on the subject of flashbacks yes to slightly transition that how's you'll like this as a segue okay it, oh is this a segue coming up okay, i'm ready but it's it's very subtle so okay. see if you can see if you can identify it yes talking about flashbacks hair Jesse's hair, flashbacks to the past, flashbacks to Jesse. I've uh, I've been really enjoying this season. I've, I've really really liked it a great deal. However, the sort of one episode so far that I wasn't feeling exactly over the moon about. Yeah. Was um the episode in which uh, Jesse went into a torture rage over uh, Tulip's ex-husband. I'm glad you said that because um. Now, there were, there were elements of the episode that I really liked. Well, I think that's what I'm finding so far is... I am enjoying the, se- the series. I think mm-hmm. it's very good. However, there is some stuff I don't like. Yeah. There is some... The good news is there's more stuff I like than dislike. Yeah. Um, 
However, I remember watching that episode, uh, well, I watch it with my girlfriend uh, every week, uh, and I remember when we got to that episode with, like, the constant flashbacks and the stuff not happening, it's like, right, we've 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 hit our first filler episode of the series, mm. just, like, not a lot's happening, it's like, okay. But you see, for me, I mean, I can understand what you're saying, I didn't so much mind, I didn't mind it from a perspective of, like, a, as in terms of being a, like, quote unquote filler episode. I didn't really I didn't really mind that. But sort of what what I what I did mind was I, I felt like for me, I felt like they were leaning too hard on the idea of trying to ensure that kind of Jesse was perceived as a, a badass, a troubled man, someone who had a temper who could flare up and for all his uh for all his best intentions and for all his desire to be on this kind of holy quest, if he was, he had certain hot buttons. And if you. And one of them is clearly Julie. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and it kind of felt for me that I felt that I didn't have any problem with the way it was performed. I felt like they were trying a little hard to, to overstate. Uh, Jesse's badassery in moments like that. Yeah, it's like we kind of don't need to because we've we've seen him just in basic fights and how he handles himself. It's like we know he's a badass. It's fine. Yeah, I I agree. Like I, I feel like they've, I feel like they've outlined that for me enough at this stage. Yeah. I feel like, and we discussed this in season. Like, actually, listen to the first episode we recorded together from last year. Ah, uh, so long ago. Ah, uh, so innocent. Such, there such was mullets age. everywhere. <laughs> exactly. Because it was the past. That's Indeed. Where, that's where they are. Uh, your mullet was particularly impressive. Thank you. Uh, I see now it's migrated fully to your face. Um, oh, wait, that's a beard. <laughs> that's a beard, yeah. Um, it's so easy to get them uh, mixed up. Yeah, um, I, I we, we talked about how in, I think it was, yeah, in the pilot, we talked about the scene in which Jesse... Um, uh, fights the dudes in the bar. I can't remember the name of the character, fuck, who um, was King Cullen's right-hand man. Um, yeah, I know who you mean, ba- though. Basically, yeah. uh, I really like the, I, I like the character a great deal, but basically we talked about how uh, Dominic... Christ, what's his name? Dominic Cooper. Yeah. Um, we talked about how he was a sort of like relatively like compact guy like not that not the tallest dude not the broadest dude and then we talked about how because jesse in the comics is kind of depicted he, as sort of like this yes I think american the, yeah guard. i think the, the term that is a tall glass of water i think <laughs> is he's referred to in the comic and that they might we talked about that they might sometimes have a bit of an uphill battle in terms of convinc- adequately convincing as the audience that jesse sort of like kind of exactly had the power to um like decimate a room full of folk. Well, yeah, that's the whole thing. Is it? He doesn't need the word. But, he's, he's a badass anyway. For sure. But I felt that in the interview between the pilot and like episode uh, five or whatever it was of this year when they did that flashback episode, I felt like they'd adequately convinced me of Dominic Cooper's Jesse as being a, a, a physically like threatening entity. Yes. And I felt like in in the episode where they had the flashback, where they had uh, Jesse's contemplation of uh, torting, uh, torturing Victor, I felt like they leaned a little bit too hard on things, like they were trying to convince me a bit too much. And I think fundamentally, I didn't buy the idea 
that a com a guy could marry Tulip, yeah, having no knowledge that she was in any way spoken for. I I could I actually didn't believe that the Jesse as depicted in the TV show would have really much animosity at all towards yeah Vixen. that's what I mean like, I don't it, think he'd give a shit I think that's the main thing is sort of it was so jarring that it just yeah I I agree yeah I mean in a certain sense I appreciate the idea that I appreciate the idea that Jesse they they want to convey that Jesse cares a great deal about Tulip but. I think when you actually look at, say, the, the I, I relationship... Never, yeah, like I, said, I would never have him as, like, the jealous type, which is quite clearly maybe the, what was driving it. Yeah, I, I agree. Like, I kinda, like, you look to the Jesse of, like, say, the first few episodes of season one, and I kind of feel like he felt fairly apathetic towards Tulip. And I, I, I think that... Because fundamentally, I think that if you are... If there were... On a break, you might say. Mm. Um, I, I don't think he would care that. Like, I think he might be angry at Tulip in terms of going. Like maybe like, not not for telling him. Yeah. But not for like the but, act no, itself. Yeah. I, I like. I don't think he. I basically. I don't think he would really have much uh, aggression towards uh, no. Victor whatsoever. I'd, I'd say one major thing came like really came out of that particular episode and it was one of my complaints that i said actually last time we recorded is we're finally seeing like a little bit of you know the darker side of cassidy being just not a not not a not a nice guy really down to his core and how do you how do you feel they've done with that well i liked it i mean it's kind of been abandoned again but uh, that was that moment where you know Jesse, uh, sorry, uh, Juliet made it quite clear that oh, if you know if Victor's been hurt, you know we're done. And it's like oh no, I'll I'll talk him out of it. And then when he gets around, he's like maybe I should kill this guy. You know that'd be quite. So he's quite obviously, I'll be honest with you, wanting to come between them. And it's like that, yeah, that's I'll I'll admit like yeah, that's kind of what I was hoping for a little bit but as the again as the series has rattled on we, we seem to have breezed past that i'm sure it might raise its surface again raise to the surface again before the end of the series uh but i did actually quite like that but again it's just that episode just dragged it just for, for me like i mean you know fair enough no like it, it it didn't drag for me it's more like it didn't ring true for me yeah. but it's interesting that like we both seem to feel like that was probably the season's weak point so far, maybe, but for different reasons. Yeah. On the subject of Casty, um, and you talking about like emerging darkness or that kind of business, I feel like, given that the TV show theoretically, if they are fortunate, you know, they might run for four, five, six seasons. You know, like if if things went their way. I feel like with Cassidy and, and his his past and maybe his ultimate um, the person he is at his core, I feel like that's like a marathon, not a sprint. Yeah. So I think. It's oh yeah, you don't want to just only un- well as it is in the actual comic is he yeah. doesn't just do it straight away. It's just the sort of shine kind of comes off his character as the more and more they yeah. more time they spend on him. But so it's also, very much a slow burn. And I think that's how they should play it in the show. I also don't think it'll be a case of I don't feel like it'll be a linear progression either in terms of I don't feel like it should be necessarily a case of um, 
if episode five yeah. is Cassidy Darkness level one, then episode seven should be Cassidy Darkness level two. Like I kind of feel almost like people in reality. I feel like we're probably going to see episodes where Cassidy, like, were you a Buffy fan? Of um, course. Like, do do you not remember the extensive oh the buff, syphilis tree the yeah. Buffy the oh. syphilis tree oh. that we spent like five hours devising out yeah. no no I've, oh, how can I how do we, can do I we need some context for that or we're we just gonna let that hang I think we should let it hang until the last episode of this podcast okay and by that I mean I think I still have it somewhere on a memory stick I've well. got it tattooed on my back yeah. <laughs> I'm not just, surprised just so uh, I'm very proud of I that. can refer to it at any moment. Um, that's, that's as long as you have a mirror. <laughs> Precisely. Oh, I had it done in reverse. No, wait, that makes no sense. Um, like one, but like, just going back to preacher, like one thing I am finding, and it, I'll sorry, it's sorry, just to clarify, the reason, okay, so I, the reason I mentioned Buffy, yeah, is sorry, like say, Buffy a point. character like Spike, for example, who uh, a character who was obviously initially introduced as a pure villain. It was a big bad. He was a big bad, despite being a uh, uh, compact yet muscular. Um, however. Over the course of uh, the series, obviously they um, uh, humanised him a great deal, but that's not to say that it was a linear progression of Spike is bad, oh, Spike's okay, now Spike is good. Like, there was very much a shades of grey and ups and yeah, downs. Like, like a proper arc. Yeah. Well, or more kind of like a peaks and troughs, and I feel like that's probably what they'll do with Cassidy. In terms of, I think that there will be some episodes where he will commit acts where we will severely doubt his uh, worth and his best intentions, and he'll do things that will seem unforgivable. And then there'll probably be acts where he'll act. Uh, there'll probably be episodes or moments where he'll act in an extremely selfless. Yeah, and, and, it, doesn't, and it doesn't help that you know his performance is at Joseph Gilgan. Gilgan is just. Bloody hilarious. Absolutely phenomenal. Like, it's been... He's... I can't say enough good about him. Like, I've been watching it with Bill, who obviously you know very well also. Um, my flatmate, but he's not my girlfriend. My boyfriend. He's not my boyfriend. It's platonic. It's plutonic. Um, basically, um, we've been having an amazing time with him. We frequently have to pause the episode and go back for lines that we've... Like, the moment that absolutely brought the house down for us with Cassidy was uh, the episode where they go and talk to the casting director. Oh, and God, yeah. Cassidy leans in and goes, it's, it's for Game of Thrones. <laughs> and then it cuts to the like, cuts to the casting director being like, oh, really? Cuts back to Cassidy. And obviously this is an audio podcast, as podcasts are. But then Cassidy kind of like raises his eyebrow as if to kind of go like, yeah, you fucking heard. And it is like... <laughs> Honestly, it could not have. Oh, it's one of the funniest moments I've experienced on in drama yeah, it, for, again, for a long great. time. He's been, he's been wonderful. In a way, that ties into a further point um, of something that I've enjoyed about this season. That they've we talked about this in a, when we talked when we did our podcast for part uh, episodes one and two. But it's been so nice that like now. Um, like now, Tulip has a fairly good relationship with Cassidy. Yeah. Now, obviously, Jesse and Tulip are generally on the same page. It's been so nice to see the three of them hanging out. Yes, that's when it's that's when it's the strongest. Bantering, I think, when they are bickering. just being a group of friends. It's been really, really, really nice. I've I've absolutely adored that. And 
both me and you said during last season, like we never felt like the show had to be exactly like the comics. Yeah. But it's I'll be honest, it's become a lot more the comic more like the comics than I ever thought it would do in a weird way. There are elements where um, it is, but I I think that was a point I was gonna make earlier, and it's like I know it's on me. I am finding sometimes it's like it's so hard to just not compare it to the comics because I mean there's some stuff that it does better, but yeah. then it's like I'm finding it's very much um the themes of the TV show are very different from the comic. Mm. Uh, like one, uh, I, I think I highlighted it last time, but I guess it's a theme, I guess, is is just happenstance and coincidence seems to be a driving force in this series. You did bring that up last time. Well, last Tell time me. it was the, like, uh, you know, oh, you know, yeah, I know, a, I know a stripper who just so happened to meet God. Like, oh, that was handy. And it's happened again in, in these episodes where it's like, oh, the, the Saint of Killers wants a soul. Like, oh, I just happened to know that there's a soul trading business going on in this town. It's like, and well, there just seems to be a couple in of instances fairness, of that. But I think I've decided that it, maybe that's just a theme of the show is just happenstance. Well, just before we get into that whole theme thing, in relation to in relation to the soul angle, in their defence, like they're clearly like they're using Jesse's knowledge of the occult. They they're tying that into practices. Obviously, this is their own thing. But they're tying that into um, the Langels, yeah. Grandma and uh, Angelville and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Which presumably it seems like that may well, like we were saying, it seems like that easily could be where this season's going. I, but it's I clearly, think that's it's where clearly it's something that they're touching. It's clearly going to be and, something and it that was they do. clearly still quite traumatic because it still referenced the box. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so it's in their defence, it's not like they mentioned Jesse's knowledge of like the soul trade. And there was no further context where it was completely divorced from anything else in, in, in the show. Like, clearly, it's they used it as a device, but they're clearly setting something up beyond that. So I, I'm, I feel, personally, I'm happy to give them a pass on that one. That being said, though, like, um, you, you raise a good point, and I'm not entirely sure whether or not I'm not sure at this stage whether like the whole kind of happenstance thing is a theme or whether it's just kind of like not the best of writing. Yeah. Like, for example, I have thought on a few occasions, um, like if I wasn't having such a good time with the characters, I probably would have said to myself, just checking every jazz bar that is not a very good method. Yeah. For, like, for all you fucking know, he was in Jazz Bar 100 on night one, and then he went back to Jazz Bar 1 on night two. Yeah, he like, would keep just going back to the same Jazz Bar, like, surely. Like, basically, this is not a fundamentally good method of investigation, Jesse. No, and it's he, quite clear that maybe pretty much the entirety of the season might be linked to or like New Orleans. I which think we're I, in New Orleans for the entire series. I, I think you're probably right, which is interesting because when they initially said they were going there, it never in my it never occurred to me that we might be spending the whole season here. I have to say that personally yeah, I liked that the whole sort of road trip angle started, which again is a main sort of thoroughfare in the original story. For sure, for sure. But it's like we got as far as oh they've got to their first location and they're stopping there. 
Uh, I'll be honest with you, that doesn't... Personal... I mean, I I don't want to sound like a massive, like, super defender of everything. And in, in a certain sense, maybe I'm discovering that I'm more passionate about the topic than I thought I was, because, to be honest with you, I've just been... I've just been happily quite enjoying the season and on a weekly basis it'll be like, oh, a new episode, Wicked. And then sitting down and I watched the first season in isolation, obviously I'm watching this with Bill. I've just been having a nice time and I've not been thinking. Like, once the show got off the ground and I kind of went and I and I enjoyed season one to the extent where I went, oh, I feel like they know what they're doing. Wonderful. I've, in a certain sense, I've put less critical thought into this season because I have almost almost like a parent and their child has moved out and you've gone oh they've got this I've almost like put less worry into season two because I've I felt content with what they did in season one so in a certain sense I feel like I might be being less discriminating and so that might position me as maybe coming across as being like ultra defensive. That being said, I personally have not I'm not minding the idea of them of them having been residing in season one for a bit. Yeah. And it doesn't even really bother me if ever because for example, I watched the first four seasons of The Walking Dead. Yeah. And a pattern they kind of established in The Walking Dead up to that point, no spoilers, was like clearly that's to an certain extent, is also a road trip, you know? Yeah. Um, you might say it's the ultimate road trip where you can't actually go home. Um, but, <laughs> okay. like, each season, what would traditionally happen is, okay, shit, we've got to hit the road, things have gone to pot, there, I don't know if you've noticed, there are zombies everywhere. Walkers. Let, let, let's... We can't say zombies. It's walkers. It's the crisps. Walkers, There's crisps. crisps everywhere. Roy Walker is everywhere. Clones of Roy Walker, like in the Matrix. Um, so basically, every season, things would go to shit. They'd be like, okay, shit has gone real. It has gone to shit. Roy Walker is in the compound. We need to move. We need to go elsewhere. Okay, we've gone somewhere else. Let's hunker down because that just makes sense. Let's try and barricade ourselves in. Let's do best as possible to build our community um oh no it's the end of the season things have gone to shit again we need to move on yes yeah, it's, it's a very steady tried and true formula but in all fairness that is kind of like i don't know how else they would do it and i feel like that's probably might be what we see happen in preacher to an extent if it runs if it runs the um like if it if it goes the distance in terms of seasons i feel like they might go to a new location each season in yeah. terms of establishing their um, their path forwards in their quest, and then they might more or less with some they I I think it almost seems inevitable that they might spend a minimum of five to six episodes in one city or location, yeah. maybe an entire season, and I'm not entirely opposed to that personally because I. Maybe it's because I've maybe it's because we've read maybe it's because I've read the comics and so yeah, I'm, I'm I know really where trying, it's going yeah, I know, and I'm, I don't I'm really try to switch that part of my brain off and go okay it's its own. I think fundamentally, thing. I'm not in a hurry to see the resolution. No, because well, because again, it's the journey, not the destination. The destination is actually quite a boring place in uh, like the original story. W- once you're there, you, you're there. 
And so as a result, provided I feel like dramatically I, I'm getting fulfilled, I don't mind whether the location is New Orleans or Anvil or, you know, Hull. Yeah. Maybe if they go to Hull and all of season seven to ten are set in Hull. Um, yeah. Just to clarify, so not it, hell. It, yeah, it turns out that God really likes, you know, northern industrial British towns. Oh, let's go find God in Hull. He loves Hull. Um, so basically the location matters less to me than the drama that's occurring. So fundamentally, I've not minded them settling for the time being. Yeah. And also, I think that, I don't know about you, I feel like the New Orleans aesthetic I love is it working that, really well. For I like the it that they've changed the the sort of the intro music has that slight. Has so, it? Yeah, they I did, didn't realize they've that. changed the intro music so it has like a slight sort of jazz line in it. That's, that's very cool. That's weird because I like I only I rewatched season one like like five or six months ago. It was more recent, four months ago. Now I I really like the theme. And I hadn't actually noticed that anything had changed about it, other than obviously the the actual images. Yeah. But I feel like the there's something about the down and dirty searching for God in all the wrong places. Yeah. Kind of um, ethos of preacher that I feel like goes really well with New Orleans. Um, and I've I've never felt the impulse to go there. Until this season. Oh, I'd love and to And I don't know if it's just Orleans. because Featherstone might be there, but I definitely, I feel like, yeah, maybe I should, maybe I should go there. Yeah. Um, oh, but, just, just, uh, if, say, if we sort of finish with this point, just jumping back to Cassidy, one thing yeah. I forgot to mention, again, as a downside to his character slightly, uh, which, again, Sue, my girlfriend, predicted, like, well done on her, is uh, that the old guy, his room, his French housemate, was his son. Well, that, that was completely um, not something I predicted. No, same, like, but Sue did, and it's like, bloody hell, well done. Um, and, and that was another thing, Like again, going back to um, that they really need to establish the rules of vampirism for Cassidy, because, again, there's like there's no enhanced strength or stuff like that, because th- there's that I whole... Still don't know if they've, I still don't know if they've ruled out enhanced strength, personally. I don't know, but either way, I think they could just do with setting the rules slightly, because... You know, his his son is an old man because obviously Cassidy doesn't age and his son does. Um, and he's dying of heart disease. So his obvious thing is like, oh, my dad is a vampire. Make me a vampire. And he's doing the stereotypical like, no, this is not the life, you know, not the life for you. No, it's like the most horrible thing. He's not actually demonstrated that much of a downside to being a vampire. I mean, I'm not even seeing that, oh, he has to regularly feed all the time. Because, I mean, even when it, like, initially it was, oh, when he's hurt, he has to have blood to heal. But there's been a few instances, oh, he just heals over time anyway. And it's like, I, I get the whole, you don't want your son to be a vampire because you think it's bad. But again, not really seeing a downside to that lifestyle choice, well, really. I, I mean, I feel like, I see what you're saying. They need to demonstrate that point i mean i know what point he's trying to get across the whole oh everyone you know dies you have to drink blood but it's like being a vampire so it looks like it's kind of cool you can drink all the whiskey and you know not die all the whiskey and it's awesome i mean like i feel show us a downside to your illustrate your point well i know what you're saying but i feel like what they might be doing um is you know obviously 
talking about uh, Cassidy's character from a less practical, more kind of like emotional perspective. Yeah. I feel like, obviously you touched upon, you felt like a few times this season they'd, they discussed the idea of uh, Cassie potentially being a more uh, selfish or malevolent, maybe malevolent, a bit strong, like a more, a more selfish, um, self-centered individual than yeah. we than we might initially want to believe in terms of all fun time Cass. Yeah. So, and obviously, Cassie himself has hinted at that. Uh, and you were talking about them, them potentially demonstrating that in the conversation with Jesse about, well, maybe you should kill the guy. I kind of feel like, in a certain sense, obviously I don't know where they're going, but with, with the references to Cassidy's possible darkness as a, as a person, which we arguably haven't really seen that much of yet in terms of his actual behaviour... That maybe we'll eventually get there. Well, uh, I do feel like we'll get there, but additionally, I feel like they might use Dennis... Who has been hilarious, by the way. Yeah. I feel like they might. I feel like they're probably using Dennis. I feel like Cassidy's reluctance to turn Dennis, whatever that process would involve, presumably bumming him. Um, that's what's going to work in Preacher. Right. Um, okay. That's it. I'm, I'm failing to see the evidence of that. Uh, I'll look, I think you just need to read between the lines. Um, not really. Uh, there is nothing there uh, to assume that. Basically, I feel like Cassidy's reluctance uh, to turn Dennis probably speaks less to kind of like, oh, you know, you, you, it's rubbish being a vampire. You've got to eat shit to restore yourself. Like, I feel like it's going to be less that. And I feel like it's more possibly a reflection of the, the Cassidy's awareness of the, the trail of, emotional devastation he's left in his wake yeah and so i feel like maybe i think it's a little bit too early to go to i feel like it's a bit too early to judge on the effectiveness of the of of the of, of both of, of the kind of how the dennis thing pans out from an emotional perspective yeah i think there might be more i think that there's, might ultimately there's, there's illustrate still, there's still a bit more for that story to run a little bit for sure yeah i mean i think it's interesting. You know when they initially said they were going to New Orleans? Yeah. You talked about some of your favourite elements of the New Orleans plot. Yes, from the actual from the comic. comics. And I almost wonder if... I almost wonder... Because, for example, at this stage, I really don't know whether Cassidy will turn him or not. Because I feel like both of them, whether or not Dennis does become a vampire... And the idea of a vampire called Dennis is... Is appealing. Yes, a um, French vampire called Denise. Indeed, Denise. Oui. Um, Denise. Um, I sort of feel like whether Casty turns him or not, I feel like that will produce really interesting, like dramatic potential. Yeah. Um, so I'm very fascinated to see where that goes. Um, because something I like about whenever you have fancy plot lines that involve multiple characters. Whenever it comes, whenever they do things about sharing that immortality, yeah. I always love the idea of whenever that immortality is shared, there's the undercurrent, or, or sometimes explicitly, the idea of going, well, you know, you better like this person because you might know them for hundreds of years potentially, yeah, or 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 many more, that yeah, and that's highly fascinating. So, I'm very interested to see where that goes. 
I do agree, though, they haven't defined the rules of vampirism in the show. And I wonder, I don't know, do they need to at this I stage? Would... I'm not sure. Like, I think they need to read the, some... Has Sue read the comics? Yes, yes, she has. Oh, that's a shame, because I kind of wanted to... I kind of wanted to get the well, I think she started. I'm not sure she's finished it. Why do you want to bring her in on this just to make a comment or something? No, no, no. No, I just was curious as to if she hadn't. Well, tell no. you what, I will, I will question it and we can bring it up on the next episode mm. if you want. Because it's just, it'd be interesting to find out from someone who hadn't read the comics. Interesting to get their opinion on whether they felt like they needed to know more than they'd been given at this stage. Because yeah. it's true, we... we we don't know a lot about how vampirism works for him. I assumed that was something that we were going to find out over time, but I'm I'm unclear at this stage. I don't know whether it's we know frustratingly little or not. Like, do you do you think we could do with knowing more effectively? I think so, considering that they seem to have completely abandoned uh, the characterization they did in the pilot. And, may, and bear in mind, it's a pilot, so things can radically change. But, you know, when he was in that plane with vampire hunters, so vampire hunters are a thing. Yeah. And he was like an absolute combat badass and then jumped out of a plane with no parachute. He um, And it's like, I think the character we're getting... I'll put it this way. If we'd have watched it in a cocky-eyed order where we see the episodes now, then go back and watch the pilot, it's like, he's almost like, I don't want to say completely different character... I don't feel he's a different character in terms of his personality. Not in his personality, but definitely in his physicality, because he seems to have definitely some sort of, like, Batman Arkham Asylum-esque able to just take people on around him willy-nilly kind of thing going on. But again, I don't know if we've seen... I, I don't disagree entirely, but I just don't know if he's been in a position since then. Uh, the bouncer in the strip club, which he oh, should have yeah, took no. apart. That's, that's, that's a good point. But it's unclear to me, in a, in a certain sense, because they were playing that for comedy, I'm almost not sure if the rules apply, if that makes sense. Uh, we'll see. Maybe uh, I mean, developments are needed. Like, obviously, we see we saw him try and have a go at the same. But again, like the Saints, like a, obviously a supernatural being as well, who supersedes Casty in terms of... Yeah, if we were doing, how, how, if we were doing yeah. preacher tops trumps, like <laughs> he would be like Silver Surfer level for sure. Yeah, yeah. So what do you reckon to the saint so far? He now has a soul. He has Jesse's soul. Oh yeah, it was interesting the way they went about that because they they definitely kind of went off the reservation in terms oh, of completely. Yeah. In a certain sense, they they went back onto the reservation because they create. If I'm not mistaken their initial situation of the same in the first two episodes of the season that we talked about of the idea of, Oh, Hey, um, it's weird that the, it's interesting that they've decided to go of the word for the word, not affecting to work him, on him yeah. and that they've now cultivated a scenario. Like they've, they've gone out of the way to cultivate a scenario where the word now does affect him in terms of now that he's got a soul, the word does compel him. Yeah. And I found it interesting that they... So again, that is establishing the rules of a universe, is the word only works on people with souls. For sure. Um, so, for example, it wouldn't affect you. As we all know, you are a soulless husk of a man. That's right. I sold it for half a Mars bar. Uh, unfortunately, I was born without one. Um, I had no Mars bars for me. Yeah. Um, but 
yeah, I've been feeling pretty good about his depiction. How about you? No, I, I definitely agree that it is. He's he's still angry, but it's a very different type of anger. Uh, mm. Where in the comic it's just sort of like cold, whereas he is like he is legitimately like pissed at at the preacher for some reason. Well, well, it's it's funny that. But he's definitely know, cool. Like he's a cool villain. I really like him. It's funny how the last time we spoke, we were a little. Both of us were a bit kind of like speaking about you know the two part premiere both of us we were saying that we felt it was kind of odd the de- the degree of uh personal animosity that the saint seemed to have for jesse yeah not just like as a concept to get something done but actually for jesse as an individual which we felt wasn't exactly earned no but but then it's interesting that now they've created a scenario with jesse's clearly not going to be permanent what are you even thinking jesse uh, just it, chucking him in the back of a van and pushing it pop, in a swamp. Pop, popping him into a river. Yeah. Um, popping him into a pond. Like, it's interesting that now they've very much explicitly created a scenario where they've actually given the scene a reason to actively dislike Well, that's the Jesse. thing, is now I could understand if he emerged and he's, like, just objectively angry at Jesse. I whereas, I like, I now... I don't know what it... Jesse was thinking. Because he basically had a scenario where... He got a complete get out of jail free card with the same, or a relative get out of jail free card, and now, and now they've gone. Now basically Jesse has made a rod for his own back. Yeah, um, I think that's going to come into play later. But the thing is, um, I felt the episode itself in which they did that, the whole stuff with the saint and the countdown. I really enjoyed the way that that was done. Yeah, um, I thought the stuff with the saint holding the guys hostage was really nicely executed and i thought that seeing the saint in sort of like a domestic setting might have the potential what, what, where to... he just went through every single apartment and just murdered every person there i actually meant just him waiting yeah with them for an hour i thought that had the potential to really demystify the saint but i thought the way they shot him was really nicely executed, and I thought that they managed to still retain his menace. Yeah. Even whilst effectively having him hanging out in a kitchen, which I think could easily have... Um, I'd very much like to see his like home cookery show. It's just him sat in a kitchen. As would, as would I. Would, would there be a co-host or... Or just him. Just him. Would anything get cooked? He's got so much. Char- he's just got so much charisma. That That's I think true. That, yeah. It would. It just. Uh, it just now, exudes. You know, it. as a result, uh, Tulip has like post-traumatic stress and a death wish from his, from her encounter with the saint. Well, actually, I wanted to ask you about that with with Tulip, um, because me and me and Bill had had some. Uh, we'd had some thoughts on this. Well, what's your you, What's your thoughts on it? Well, I more wanted to... I'm, I'm going to flip reverse that. Oh, flip turn me upside down. Exactly. I'm going to turn you around and turn off the gas. And do you... It wasn't entirely clear to me, you know, from the incident where uh, the same kind of touched Tulip and held her aloft. Yeah. Uh, which obviously was a somewhat unnerving experience. It wasn't entirely clear, entirely clear where, as you were stating, like, Tulip's reaction to that was... Just was very kind of like uh, corporeal and down to earth, and it was just a case of I've had a terrifying near death encounter with this incredibly frightening individual, yeah, and thus I'm in some way trying to deal with that. 
or if it had been more literal and supernatural, that actually kind of coming into contact with this supernatural force who had spent eons in hell and who was imbued with some with abilities unknown. I, I get the general impression that because I mean other people have survived the saints and they're like probably quite scared and maybe even traumatized. I generally got the impression that it was like physical contact with him as as kind of like she's got like negative like juju like vibes yeah. whatever you call it but it's just the fact that yeah all those people that survived maybe the saint didn't actually physically touch him see i uh, that's well, that's the impression that i got is that it was the physical act of being held by him looking into his eyes and it's like oh like you know seeing something that some people on the surface don't see it's funny and it's kind of got well you know what they say like you know you, you stare long enough into the abyss the abyss stares into you Yes, it's. I felt it was very much that kind of vibe that she's she's looked him straight in the eyes, and a little bit of that darkness has kind of crept in. She saw scared a, her. a man who spent a lot of time in Hull. Um, yeah, I in in the episode in which that occurred when he held her aloft, I definitely viewed it in that way, yeah. in the way that you've just stated, and then in the episode that followed, the one that we just had. I felt like it was maybe played a little bit more, more kind of like post-traumatic stress. Like, so I'm, I'm very unsure which it's going to be at this stage. Well, it's only just started, so we need to see how that develops, really. Yeah, for uh, sure. To get a full. I'm inter- I'm interested to see how that pans out. On the subject of Tulip, actually, how have you felt about her in the intervening sort of five episodes between episodes two and now seven that we've just had? Because we were both kind of saying how, um. In season one, obviously, of the lead trio, Tulip was the character who was the most uh, disparate from her comics incarnation. Yeah. And uh, was possibly, uh, maybe you know, was maybe consciously a little bit less likable than I think perhaps they maybe would have wanted. Uh, like, I, I feel like... Um, well, no, I still like her. I think... No, 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 I... I'm speaking primarily about season one here. Yeah. I felt like the antagonism between her and Jesse may have been uh, perhaps maybe a little bit stronger initially in the season than might have been helpful towards uh, sort of empathising with her. Yeah. How do you feel about that as time's gone on? Like, now that we're effectively, like, I guess, 17, 17 episodes, 17 hours into an adaptation of the comic, how do you feel about Tulip as a character? Do you feel... Uh, are you feeling comfortable with her? Do you think she's working? I'm not entirely sure, to be honest, because that's one thing I'll say is, like, again, in the flashback episode, is, again, a departure from the comic is radically changing a lot of the character's motivations. Like, she wants to basically stay as a hit person. Uh, and when Jesse, almost like, you know, wanting to be good and not afraid, he then decides, oh, I'm going to be a preacher in my dad's church. And it's like... That's radically changed his motivation because, it, again, I, I have to stop referring to the comics so much. But in the comics, it was very much he was forced into that life. You know, he was forced to be a preacher by his grandmother and that whole, you know, mess yeah. to unpackage. And it's like, no, now he's like... It was a proper mess, wasn't it? It was. Um, that's, that's one word for it. And it's just the fact that becoming a preacher was initially, like, his decision and his almost way of trying to get redemption or whatever, forgive, like, whatever to his previous criminal life. It's like, that's rapidly changing Jesse as a character. 
That's and true. Also, again, Although, in all fairness, that was it was clear from season one. Yeah. Not I know this isn't exactly what you're saying. It was clear from season one that it was a life he'd chosen. Like we didn't know the exact specifics of it, but it was it was clear from season one that they weren't doing things in exactly the same manner, based on well, just based on the fact of his father being a preacher. Yeah. Um. So I don't I don't particularly mind that, but it, it is interesting to see. I think, particularly in that flashback episode, like the basic relationship between Jesse and Tulip is. Well, I think I think the fundamental relationship and the way they interact, I feel like the end point, I feel like the vibe is very similar to the comics. Yes. But the, the origin of the the starting position for the way they relate to each other is obviously extremely different. Yeah. I'd say, I'd say you like, Do you feel like that's playing out to your liking? I don't know. I'd say Tulip, uh, well, like this version of Tulip, is definitely a lot more like manipulative than her comic counterpart. She's definitely already fully formed, like, because, again, over the over the comic, she becomes that, like, badass, flat jacket-wearing, loads of guns, protecting her friends thing, and she seems to be already that. Uh, but I will say, like, she's been a lot more manipulative. Like, um, again, in the flashback, they're trying for another baby, but, oh, she's on birth control, so she can keep killing people. Uh, she's not telling Jesse things. She didn't tell Jesse about the marriage, and it's like... So, she, again, she is very, I suppose, different. And there's some things I like about it, some things I don't. It, it's just it's just a different... It's just a different... It's a different beast, isn't it? It's just a different beast, yeah. And I'm, I must admit that I feel like at this stage, I'm like... It's reassuring that, like, sort of 17 episodes in, I think, like, when I'm watching the show... I think about the comics less and less, if you know what I mean. Yeah, well, I think I'm just I'm gonna have to try and just force myself to just go like, right, they put them to one side. There. Although it has been interesting that in this second season, because they've kind of adopted the quests, yeah. and because they've adopted the road trip, and because as we see now they've adopted the Grail. Um, yes. It effectively means that even though in some respects I feel quite divorced from the comics in terms of my ability to mm-hmm. just watch what I'm watch what's in front of me and enjoy it on its own level. It has been interesting that within like within the course of this season, we've not seen the Grail referenced in a kind of like season one, you know, like a business card, uh yeah. a, a shadowy figure. Like within the space of three or four episodes, it's like, oh men in white suits. Oh you're called well, no, actually, we don't know her name, but like, oh, it's clearly you, Yeah, you know, like you've got a distinctive bob, and you know your your partner is also a black dude with a very distinctive demeanor. Yeah. Like we've, and then of course, like obviously now we've kind of got Star in the mission, and yeah. very rapidly we've much more so than I expected to be perfectly honest. They've kind of like gone from I don't want to say naught to sixty with the Grail. But like they've not really held back with it. Like they're like that's the kind of thing where it's it's taking it into a territory, you know, that kind of um, conspiracy, that this world binding conspiracy that I thought they might be a little bit hesitant about. Yeah. Because I thought I'd, I'd say maybe Star is like the most comic booky character out of all of them. Yeah, so far, in, I would say. I must admit, it's been a pleasure well how, to... well, how do you feel about Star? Do you think they've got him... 
I feel pretty much nailed on. I feel good about himself. Did you enjoy his pierced nipples? Um, probably not actually. That was probably one of the only things. I, I thought that was a enjoy. bit OTT. It's like right now he is a sadist, but I I think I think I mean I found it amusing, but I actually kind of found it maybe um slightly not how I would initially imagine him because I think yeah. I think I always. I think they have again. It but it doesn't, I, it wouldn't. It well, you know how Tulip appeared basically already fully formed? Uh-huh. I think they've kind of done a similar thing with Star because, again, a lot of those things is like, they've missed out on quite a bit of character development we could have seen in the series where, again, he's like, well, he's already like the head of that department because, like, you just pushed him, the guy from Supernatural, the, the yellow-eyed demon from Supernatural. Over the ledge as soon as he as soon as he graduated, I so am... he's now like head of the department, and it's just some some of him doing the tests. I'll admit that entire sequence was just comedy. That was um, that I, was I, absolutely glorious, and I think that... I especially love the uh, the seduction test. Wonderful. Where it's like, talking about, <laughs> give me the files, you stupid bitch. <laughs> like, wasn't okay. that? I feel like is that is that a moment not in terms of a trial, but. I feel like that might have been a moment that's directly directly lifted from the comics. It's where he's kind of like where he where threatens it... to kill someone's uh, like family and children in order to execute something. It might be when he's. No, I, I thought personally what it referenced is there's a bit in a comic where he's hanging out with the guy who introduces him to the Grail mm-hmm. and he tries to hook him up with a woman, uh, and he goes like, "No, I think you misinterpreted. I was just wanting like." basically he's just wanting sex mm. you know sorry to disappoint <laughs> you that kind of thing and that's when he just goes down his line of oh he just keeps seeing prostitutes um, um, which is, is definitely expedient um, now I find uh, I've, I've been really pleased with him so far but yeah just I some, of, the, some his, of his candor is just his, spot on it's just like they're worshipping a pig <laughs> their dry, his dry delivery has been wonderful yeah. I'm not familiar with the actor personally I, I don't recall seeing him I think there's there's I hope I think there's we're going to see a lot more of him, and I'm very happy because I think he's going to be quite funny. I, I don't know whether they'll go to the extent that they do in the comic, where just horrible, not... horrible, horrible stuff keeps happening to him, to the point where he's like barely a man left at the end <laughs> of the series. You know what I enjoyed there? What I thought was really nice is something that I thought they got correct right off the bat with Star. Like right initially in it, like just in this single episode that he's essentially featured in, was the idea that obviously he's like essentially the primary antagonist of the. Of, of well, the he show. seems to have took over. Like initially we thought, oh, Saint Achilles is going to be the main bad guy. Now it's clearly he's been shoved in a box probably for the rest of the season, mm. and oh, now we have Star. Star is the new main villain. But what I what what I feel like they've done really well. Like what I thought they've got. Uh, they've done a fantastic job with is they've immediately got correctly uh, the, I mean, something that they've judged absolutely fantastically about his character is the idea that although he is the, kind of like the primary antagonist you know he's, he is the villain I think immediately they've conveyed the idea that he is a, a bit of a lovable rascal like even though fundamentally you do get a sense of like mischief like you know on the final test when they yeah. did the marksmanship test again yeah. Sue, with her brilliant prediction, was just like, he's going to shoot him, and he, and he does. But you can almost see, like, even the pose he takes, because he doesn't even look at him, it just goes bang inside her head. And she can almost which, see, like, he is so smug with himself right now. Which, again, is, is again, sort of, like, different to necessarily how they 
did certain things about his induction and rituals yeah. like within the comics to the grail but was very within the spirit of 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 him like what he embodies within the comics so i was i was really thrilled with that i thought they walked the line between uh him being menacing and also him being fundamentally hilarious oh, and so, so i think just, i can't just wait to see him in, interact with so i've just remembered the bit where he does the hand-to-hand combat trial you know takes again maybe thought just masturbating to distract the guy maybe a bit too much but it worked, and you know oh, he beat the guy, and that's fine. But just the fact that as the instructor is talking, he walks off, grabs a golf club, and yeah. comes back and just murders the guy, just completely nonchalantly. It's like, yeah, that's something that Star would probably do. It's I've like, yeah. uh, I've been very very pleased with things. I mean, I guess I would say if I had one quibble, and this might be speaking about things other, other than the nipple rings. Uh, well, it's not so much the rings, it's the interconnectedness, because I just feel like that's combat impractical. But, yeah. um, uh, you know, I say he's in a scrap, someone could just grab hold of them. Exactly, you don't want you no one wants your nipples pulled off. Um, basically, if I had one quibble, and I might be again applying uh, too much kind of comic, the perception or memory of the comics to this, or I might be applying too much reality to what is fundamentally yeah. something that is a comedic scenario. But I felt like, um, you you know the moment where he effectively is, is just graduated, he's been indoctrinated. Yeah. He's, he's, he's you know, the grand executioner, he's the right-hand man. Uh, and then he uh, pushes his superior off the balcony. Yeah. A big, part of, a big part of me was like, on a comedic level, that's great. And in terms of illustrating his ruthlessness... But there, I couldn't help but be a somewhat... I, I think it's a little bit like your Cassidy fighting the bouncer scenario. Yeah. Where I couldn't help but be a little bit concerned that, given that me and you know the nature of what the Grail is attempting to do and the seriousness with which they take that, Yeah. it basically... Uh, what's star-murdering that guy would be uh, to use the modern vernacular suspicious as fuck yeah like particularly given that i feel his, like his it, needless murdering of people during his in, his initiation yeah it was, it was very much kind of playful ass and i mean even in the original comic he kills the guy who introduced him to the grail but that guy is still of like the same rank as him yeah you know? sure yeah. Like, and, and in, in fact at that point he might even technically be a subordinate at that stage yeah and he's still um He's clearly reporting to someone, so he's not ultimately in charge. So maybe there yeah. might still be an all father. Oh, I think I think yeah. there probably will be. Um, but um, yeah, I do feel it was very much well. That's what I, that was what I was on about. Is like there's quite a lot of character development. We just skipped in, in favor of maybe a, a lol. Lol, he pushed the guy off. For sure. I mean, I, I, in a certain sense though, I don't feel like that necessarily is. You could call it efficient storytelling, but. I don't feel like we've necessarily skipped things as such because I think it's more, I'm more worried about the logic of the scenario in Mm. terms of going, does it diminish the, um, does it diminish the threat of the grail in the audience's mind if they are shown to be inept enough as to not worry about the, immediate death of star superior in that scenario yeah so i'm more worried about it from a logical perspective i don't really mind it from a i don't mind it from a sort of like hop skip and jumping character development perspective because i feel like as we've kind of seen like with say for example with Cassidy, 
obviously in the comics he did not have a son that I explicitly remember. Um, they may have referenced him having children that he wasn't aware of. Uh, they, yeah, they do, they do reference he has kids, but he like never sees. There them. wasn't like a Dennis, an explicit. Dennis. No, no, there wasn't. And I feel so, but I feel like this the utilization of Dennis, uh, in the show is revealing interesting things yes. about Cassidy. And so I feel like there's many, there's a million instances of stuff that they can do with Star that will um, evoke aspects of his character that may have been. Uh, that may have been better exemplified in things that were eliminated from the comics. So I, I fundamentally, it doesn't bother me. I think that it's uh, all I, I just don't want the, I, I don't want the Grail as a threat to be too diminished in the name of comedy. Yes. I think that. I don't think they will. I think it'll be fine. Yeah, you're probably right. Um... Right, we we are just approaching like the hour mark. Oh, indeed we are. Uh, I've got one more point to bring up, and then maybe we should start wrapping up. Okay, sure. Because uh, I again, I just remembered like, oh, that was a thing that happened. But well, ultimately, do you like Star? Will you be buying a Funko Pop of him? Well, um, <laughs> you know, I I probably won't be buying a Funko Pop, Funko vinyl, Funko Pop of him, if only for the reason that, as we discussed before going on mic. My flatmate has what can only be described as a legitimate problem in terms of buying. There's Funko worse Pop things Pop to be. Pops. There's worse things to be addicted to. Uh, well, he's yeah. also a paedophile. Um, but please uh, wait, don't say stuff like that on my request. A non-practicing paedophile, so it's okay. No, don't even. No, stop with that uh, line of line of comedy in, uh, in air quotes. All right, so it's it's all well in. So well, comedy paedophilia in season one's fine, but when it's utilised in the spirit of demeaning your housemates, it's apparently crossing the line. Yes, because I like Bill. But, um, but anyway, but no, yeah, uh, he 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 does have a pop problem. Pop, um, is he a pop? Is a pop head? He, he is a he is a pop head, and he likes poppers. So as a result, I feel like there's no need for me to buy. There's no need for me to buy a because you just wait. I'll just wait. And like you know, like wait for him to deploy it for me. But yeah. yeah, I do like Star. I like what they've done so far. I feel like just in the space of an episode, they've uh, established him wonderfully. So I can't wait to see what comes next from him. Yes, uh, and one thing I've just remembered uh, because I forgot to say, how do you feel about Eugene's Adventures in Hell? I'm so glad you brought that up because that is literally the one last thing Woo! on my I on, yeah. on my, the little list of things that I made to discuss. Um, really interested because, um. They're really, they're really straying away from what hell was in the comics. Well, yeah, because why fight heaven and hell is being a lot more sort of technologically driven. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, like because hell little, is holograms. Like the hologram thing, I frankly feel ambivalent. Uh, well, ambivalent to outrightly negative about that. Well, yeah, because I, mean, I it, would prefer, you know, it, magic or yeah. whatever. But... <laughs> it remains to be seen how that's exactly played out, but it kind of seems to me that... And it's and like, hell, and hell is like a legit straight-up prison. Like, they have they have guards. Well, it seems it, to me they like... They have cells. You know, or... like... I don't mind the whole like, kind of cell... There's too, there's too much organisation in hell. Like, <laughs> exactly. It's called hell. It's, I kind of feel like... Um, yeah, I feel like for me, you know, when we kicked off the episode of Eugene experiencing the suicide of uh, Tracy. Yeah. No, sorry, not suicide. Was it suicide? Did she? Did she? Yeah, yes, she, she, she goes to blow her brains yeah, out. Yeah, she had a crack and then he had a crack. Um, basically, I I was initially loving that and it was 
I love the way they call back their initial introduction of the concept of hell with a set of killers. Yeah. Um, I actually was wasn't initially sure if what we were viewing was a legitimate memory because of how maybe how hell much... manipulated it to be a bad memory. Yeah, for sure. Like, and they played it so they played it so far out there in terms of comedy, and Eugene being kind of like, oh, you know, it's, it looks worse than it is, which was all really really funny, but was. It, it was so far out there and it was so exaggerated that I wasn't sure if what I was seeing was initially real. Um, that being said, you know, kind of like when we saw um, Fiora and DeBlanc uh, enter the Saint of Killers hell yeah. in the finale of... Se- was it the finale? No, the penultimate episode of season one. Yeah. It seemed that they were entering more like, like they entered through a door and it was portally and it was like... Mythical yeah. and potentous. And I think fundamentally, the Saint of Killers, like as we see him walking the mortal plane, he is, as you said, as you correctly identified a moment or two ago, it's magic. Like he's not like, it's not like they've given him a revolver ocelot, don't shoot at me chip. Like he is, yeah, he is. He's magic. not being driven by technology. It's, and he's so, clearly a supernatural being. For sure. And there's no shame in that because. A lot of the basic premise of this entire show is supernatural. And so as a result, I definitely was a bit... I did bristle a little bit yeah. at this idea of like the kind of like holog- hologram... Yeah. And again, hell has maintenance people You know what? to I fix the hologram. I actually don't so much mind that. It was more like... You know what? I kind of... I didn't mind the organisation of it. I think I would have enjoyed it being a little bit more depicted as how it is in, say... Uh, Bill and Ted's bogus journey. Yeah. Which was one of my fundamental... Well, again, the doors are portals to places, not yeah. like literal rooms yeah, that for like, sure. the people are in. And I, I think that, in a way, they might have over-defined it. They might, they might have been over, yeah. might have made things a little bit too specific. That being said, you know, given that what we've seen with Eugene, and who we've not seen for several episodes now, yeah, given that what we've seen with Eugene... It seems to it does seem to quite does seem to contradict. And again, a bit even, of the, just sorry, sorry, just, sorry, just carry on. Yeah. It does seem to contradict a bit of the same of Killer's actual experience, and what they what they showed in the penultimate episode of season one. So I can't help but wonder. You know, I'm not entirely convinced that what we are seeing with Eugene is real. Like part of me almost wonders if maybe this maybe Eugene's experience out of the cell. Maybe that's the simulation. Maybe that's the hell. Like the illusion of escape or the illusion of hope. I, I... Again, I think you're giving it too much credit. Yeah, but, maybe, maybe. Uh, but it's just, even just the fact that, right, so hell has staff, mm-hmm. like wardens and maintenance people and administration, but yet Eugene hasn't pulled sort of like the, is it Randall from Clerk's tactic of, I'm not even supposed to be here. Mm. Like, because they can clearly see, like, well, he's not. So why is he there? And I just... I, I mean, I guess it, in all fairness, based on the way Fiora and DeBlanc acted in season one, like, they had, like, a warrant, or, like, there was a warrant out for them, like, with the, uh, what are they called? The uh, Seraphim. Yeah. Um, Like, there was a warrant out for them. They had their heaven phone... Like there was quite a technological um, stint, technological admin 
bent to the way emissaries of heaven were depicted in season one so in a certain sense it kind of makes sense that that might be extended to hell in season two but still i kind of remain to be convinced with that well do we think that the uh the badass angel lady might be coming back at some point that's in season one who are you talking the about? The one where they sent him to kill him and the way they, they incapacitated her by just chopping all, her arms and legs off and leaving her in the motel bathroom. Um, I think maybe, she, I think she like, was a seraphim. What, what makes you think that? Uh, well, it's just that she's still around. Um, what happened well, with her? Might... Like, ultimately, the, Eugene's father killed her, didn't he? Yes, and then so she walked she, off. So she reanimated. I mean, I guess she... And then we never saw her again. Oh, you mean, like, she might be in pursuit of Jesse, etc.? Yeah. I guess it would make sense, yeah. And I, I feel, or, or is that a thing they've forgotten about, maybe? I don't think... I think it makes perfect sense that we would see her again. And I kind of feel like... Um, for a show which might struggle to have an extensive... Like, family cast. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, beyond Jesse... Like, if they maintain a road trip... Uh, kind of, like, mentality... Then, in a certain sense developing a family of characters around those tri- that trio might prove somewhat challenging. So as a result, it wouldn't surprise me if they would, if they dipped into their bag of tricks as much as they could in terms of going, what characters do we previously have established that we can use? Yeah. So I think we probably will see her again. That's, okay. that's why I was so sad to see Fior and Aude Blanc uh, be killed in episode two. Yeah, I, because I, I just think it's so interesting. Yeah, but the weird thing is, is his name is still in the opening credits. So is it's it? Like, could he pop up again? Oh, I didn't realize that. Um, what's the actor's name? I don't know off the top of my head, but again, well, this okay. was a Sue spot once again. A hot, oh, well, that's a actually... hot Sue spot where it's like his name is still there. Maybe we'll see him again. But... Maybe he'll be in hell with Eugene. Maybe. Uh, like, maybe... Uh, and and last point because again we're approaching. We're way past an hour now. Yeah. Uh, how do we feel about a possible Adolf Hitler face turn? When you say face turn, yeah. what does that mean? In terms of, re- well, it's a wrestling term, as in they're, they're basically a good guy. Um, I feel like, I feel like, you know, I think Hitler's been in the bad books for too long. I think it's time <laughs> for Hitler to be redeemed. And I think uh, AMC, he's... Preacher is is frankly the way to do I that. I just think there's many things the series can get away with, but I mean a Hitler face turn. I'm not sure about you know, that. Can I tell you something amusing about Hitler? Please. Or about Hitler in Preacher, when he first stepped out of the cell. Yeah. I didn't recognise him, and my first thought was, is that Anthony Kiedis from the Red Hot Chili Peppers? <laughs> <laughs> because like the past few years, Anthony Kiedis has had like a moustache and this like very long fringe and I was like oh right well how did you do to get here right <laughs> you seem like a fairly nice fellow um I thought oh goodness me well, I get Anthony, it. what's happening because here? I'm just completely unprepared uh that guy it, well, I think he's an Australian comedian or actor who's or... playing Hitler who's yeah. playing Anthony Kiedis. well they, who's playing Anthony Kiedis in Preacher yeah and like when I guess they Flea, found... Flea does a lot of acting yeah but when, they, but when they found out that like Oh, he's now in preaching. They're like, "Oh, what character is he going to play?" And then he's he's playing Hitler. Mm. It's like, don't think anyone was expecting that. So it's like, okay, we'll see where that goes. It's interesting, although I don't recall uh, uh, the classic face turn, redemptive arc of of Hitler in the comics. 
Um, well, there's, there's, there's not. He's no, no, not no, in, no. I don't think he's in the comic. Um, although you've got plenty of Nazis, so that's something. Um, I do... Am I, it does seem like exactly... It, much in akin to season one, it seems like exactly the kind of thing that the comics would do. Even if yeah. they didn't, it seems like exactly the thing they would do. Well, as you say, there are Nazis in it, because isn't there there's the... Um... Really sexy Nazi at yeah. one point. Does uh, it mount me and call me... What's her name? Uh, what, Ava? Ava, yeah. Fuck I, me and call me Ava. I've said that a bunch of times. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's the therapist for Queen Cannon, isn't it? <laughs> She's just a secretary. Or secretary. But yeah. you could argue that... But, but she loves... Yeah, she kidnaps Jesse and dresses him up as, as a Nazi. Like, yeah. Okay. Uh, but it just goes to show that if you're attractive enough, Nazism is... is uh, <laughs> that is just... Nazism is okay. That is just... There's so much of this podcast I'm going to have to edit out, isn't there? Well, you no, know, you don't have to edit out anything because it's clearly said in jest. I hope so. Just to yeah. clarify, Nazism, I'm not a fan. No. I would go so far as to say that I dislike it and I am vocally opposed to it. Okay, so on that... Bombshell. You know, on that bombshell, uh, what do we think is to be expected for over the next course of the uh, next couple of episodes, do we think? I don't. I don't know. I guess because I, is... I I think the Saint of Killers is in the box for the rest of the series, personally. Yeah, I I I probably agree with you. I think the big question for me is now that they've introduced Star. Prior to Star's introduction, I felt like the season was moving towards uh, Grandma and Angelville and all that shit. Well, me too. But maybe but we're now that they've introduced that. now that they've introduced Star. I kind of feel like if there's like say five, six episodes left, I don't know. It feels like will they want to do both? Will they want to have both things in play? So I, I think they, you know what? Because they did because they referenced the box thing mm. early in yeah. season, uh, early in like episode one or two. I think that's what they will do at the end of the year. So you still think we're heading towards uh, Angleville? Yeah, I think so. And you know what I find interesting is this just shows what a um, idiot I am. I only just thought <laughs> about how Jesse basically punished the Saint of Killers in a way that mirrored his own experience. Um, yeah. I oh my actually, god, I didn't, he did. Yeah. I didn't actually think about that because I apparently don't understand mirroring. But to be honest, until you said <laughs> that, that never occurred to me either. Just so, goes to show yeah. we are smart guys who are on the ball. Indeed. So, uh, right, I think that brings this episode to a wraps. I would agree. Uh, so, Chris, uh, if people are thrilled about hearing you and want to hear more of you, where will they find you on the internet? Well, uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at ChrisSykes108. You'll notice I often retweet um, a lot of left-wing stuff, which will go some way to countering my allegedly pro-Nazi tendencies as a uh, uh, displayed on the podcast um also you can find all my other podcasting stuff uh, reviewing various films movies and yogurts at all of winespace.blogspot.co.uk how about you phil me uh well i'm on in loads of places but the best place to find me is everything flows through twitter so you can find me at housebroken geek mm, i like that at twitter it's, you said that in a really soothing way. Thank you. It soothes me. Uh, and I have various things in the pipeline. Currently, I'm directing a play in Sheffield in October. So you might say it's things in the pipeline. 
Oh, oh. And on that stellar one-liner, <laughs> I think we're going to bring this to a close. Thank you for listening to the Praying for Preacher podcast. I've been Chris Sykes. And I'm, and you still are, I assume. I thought you were going to say your name, but you didn't. No, I didn't, because I'm, I'm Pitt Mason, and yes, we hope you've enjoyed it. If you could maybe leave us a review, a share, all that social media bullshit, uh, I'd really appreciate it. Right, thank you for listening, and goodbye. Goodbye.